Proverbs chapter 16, beginning in verse 17. The highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He who keeps his way preserves his soul. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be a humble spirit, better be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. He who heeds the words wisely will find good, and whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. The wise in heart will be called prudent, and sweetness of the lips increases learning. Understanding is a wellspring of life to him who has it, but the correction of fools is folly. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. The person who labors, labors for himself, for his hungry mouth drives him on. An ungodly man digs up evil, and it is on his lips like a burning fire. A perverse man sows strife, and a whisperer separates the best of friends. A violent man entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. He winks his eye to devise perverse things. He purses his lips and brings about evil. The silver-haired head is a crown of glory, if it, is, if it is found in the way of righteousness. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you how you're working among us, Lord. We, we ask, Lord, that you would accomplish your purposes in each one of us, Lord. We thank you that you care so much about us. You don't allow us to stay stagnant or uh, not growing, Lord. You keep working so that we will grow, become more and more mature. Lord, thank you that your word is so powerful and it accomplishes every purpose it's sent to accomplish, God. We ask for a supernatural work of your Holy Spirit. We, we ask, Lord, that as we engage you and we open up our hearts to you as we allow your word to do its work, Father, that you would speak to us and, and, and tell us where we need to make changes and allow you to make changes in us. We want to be redirected. We want to be convicted and comforted and encouraged and exhorted. We want all the things you have in your great Father's heart towards us and all that you have in mind related to these verses for us this morning. Help us to not just be hearers and measuring our maturity by what we agree with by what but by what we obey lord i pray that all of us myself included would grow in obedience to you and we pray father that holiness would be um, something that we we desire to grow in lord as a result of your work in our lives we commit this time to you in jesus name amen, amen. please be seated well, we've been going through this chapter in chapter 16, and, and we've seen God emphasize how sovereign God really is, and he is very, very sovereign, and especially how sovereign he is related to his leading in our lives. I want us to look back at a few verses earlier in the chapter, in chapter 16. Look, look at verse 1 again, chapter 16, verse 1. Let's just read for you, uh, review these a little bit. The preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. So we have these preparations, we have these plans that we have and all of that, but when it comes time to, to be able to 
to make a decision and make the call to be able to say, this is the decision that I'm making. As we are submitted to him and surrendered to him, he gives us that in that very moment, what we should do, what we should say, and we should trust in that. Look at verse 2. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. See the contrast. And we're going to get into what seems right to a man and all of that in our verses this morning. But he kind of touches on that in verse 2. All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes. In his own eyes, he sees everything that, his, that he does and says, and he justifies a lot of things. We can justify things with the best of them. <laughs> uh, and, and, but ultimately, God's the one that weighs our spirit, so he's sovereign in assessing where we really are. We can make excuses for things and all of that, but God's the one that comes in by his spirit and says, this is your true condition. Even though it's pure in your own eyes what you're doing, this is what the, this, the real situation is, and he wants us to trust in it. Look at verse 3. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. So as we desire to please him with our lives, we desire to please him with being obedient to him and we're led by his spirit and what he wants us to do and all those things, then we get further revelation related to um, what we're in the middle of and what we're doing and those thoughts related to serving and doing good. He further gives us leading or gives us leading in a way where we, he expounds on what we're already doing and, 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 and has it expand. And so he blesses that, and he's sovereign in that. Then look at verse 9. Drop down to verse 9. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And as we looked at last week, steps are smaller increments. They're the little parts that lead to the the you know, transversing the path or going along the longer thing, which is the path. So yes, we get a general sense sometimes of where we should go, but God gives us further revelation on a, on a moment-by-moment daily basis in terms of how we're supposed to get there. He calls us to a lot of things. We don't know how we're going to do them. We don't know how he's going to lead us in those things, but he says, I'm calling you this direction. We have to trust in his sovereignty and that his his capacity to be able to lead us in the small details of those things. That's what that verse is saying. And he's sovereign in that. And then lastly, in verse 16, jump down to verse, or sorry, excuse me, verse 11. In chapter 16, verse 11. Honest weights and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. So when we, he wants honest business dealings, he wants us to be honest with our you know when we interact with people and all those things and all the all what we're trying to trade with other people or we're trying to transact with other people those things belong to him he's sovereign over those things and because of that he puts because he owns everything not just the things that we think we own uh, you know like we own this and he owns this of ours no he owns the whole all of it because he owns all of it it's all his, and he wants us to deal with those things appropriately and honestly and with integrity. It's very important to him. So as we've seen with these scriptures, it shows how amazing he is and how sovereign he is. And I don't understand, and don't believe anybody who comes and up at any lectern or pulpit or on TV or radio or whatever and says they fully understand how God does all this. And let me explain it to you. And I have this graph and this PowerPoint I'm going to show you. And we fully understand. We don't understand. That's the beauty of the, this, the mystery of God related to this is that he's so, he's so vast. If you could fully understand God, 
then you wouldn't be finite, you'd be infinite, and then there'd be more than one God, and there's only one God. You're not, you can't be at his level. It's the pride of man that insists that we have to understand how God works the way he works. We don't understand how he works together all these things for our good as Christians, but he does. So we need to trust him. We need to trust him. We need to trust him in, in, in all our decisions. We need to, as Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. So the goal for the Christian, of course, the ungodly, and he's talked about, he's going to continue to talk about the unrighteous, the ungodly, they're not submitted to him. They don't believe that he is worthy of their you know, being submitted to, to him. And, and so with us as believers, he calls us to trust. He calls us to have faith. He calls us to put, to believe his word and take his word for what it says, even if our emotions and our thoughts and all these things are screaming to the contrary in, in our hearts and in our lives. His word is the standard. So for us, we have to say, look, I'm going to trust you, God. You, you're, you're, you, can, you oversee all of this. You're greater than all these things. And so I'm going to lean on you, and you're going to direct me. You're going to show me what I should do. You're going to direct my paths. So this theme of sovereignty and how he works in our lives and all those things, it's going to continue in our verses today. And he's going to cover, cover other subjects as well, providing a lot of wisdom and, and so we have to recognize the value of it. And we ended last week in verse 16, where he says, How much better to get wisdom than gold, and to get understanding, is to be chosen rather than silver. So as I ended last week, sometimes this wisdom, and he's talked about it in Proverbs, the wisdom that's in the scriptures it ends up we follow what it says to do a lot of times it it ends up in material prosperity it does I mean that's not what we seek after but he talks about hard work he talks about being honest he talks about doing the right thing and all these things it's going to lead to some level of prosperity I don't care what culture you're in and there the prosperity that definition may be different depending on where you're at our definition of prosperity is quite different than it probably is in most parts of the world so God's okay with that if we follow his precepts and if we have an open hand where he can put into it and take out of it as he sees fit. But what, happened, what can happen as we prosper in all these things and we can start valuing those things instead of God's wisdom that got us those things in the first place. So we have to be very careful about that and on guard against that because it can creep into all of our lives. So let's begin in verse 17 here. He says, the highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He who keeps his way preserves his soul. And the Hebrew, that, the, the, the little phrase there, depart, or that word depart, means to turn aside. It's, it, it really emphasizes in the original language our volition or our will in, in related to recognizing that we're taking responsibility for that behavior. And we're taking responsibility for what we allow into our lives. And in our culture, we, need to, we can't hear it enough related to the importance of departing from evil. He says there, he who keeps his way preserves his soul. That word keeps means to guard there. So he who guards his way preserves his soul. If you were to ask the average person out there on the street, let's say you're out there on Yosemite and you're walking and you're on your way to Mangy Moose. Have you gone to Mangy Moose yet? It's good stuff. Miller loves the salsa there. 
It's good. It's, it's, it's just a couple blocks away. I mean, these, okay, let's not get on food here. But let's say you're walking down Yosemite there, and you go up to somebody, and you meet somebody for the first time, and you say, how are you caring for your soul? How are you, what's, what's, what, are you, what are you doing to care for your soul? You imagine the looks that you would get. Like, what are you talking about? How much do we care about our very souls? Those things that are going to outlast this world. And he says here, he who keeps his way or guards his way in terms of his life preserves his soul. But in our culture, it is so easy to have a bunch of garbage in our hearts and in our minds and we don't guard our lives. We don't guard what comes in in our homes. Our homes are supposed to be a refuge. But so often they're not a refuge at all. They're actually places where ungodly things can be concealed and hidden. But God wants our houses, our homes to be places of refuge. And, and so it seems like the standard is getting lowered and lowered and lowered among God's people related to holiness. And any time that you talk about being careful about these things, you're accused of being a legalist. You know, a legalist is someone that puts out man-made rules and all of that. And the things that we can stand on firm ground on in the scriptures are principles principles it doesn't say you can't see a rated r movie explicitly in scripture but the principles of not having those things in our minds and ungodly principles and the things that it lists and all that would lead you to have that conclusion but the thing that's greater than all of that is that the the holy spirit says uniquely to us in our hearts that's what are you doing the law of the spirit that Paul talked about in, in the book of Romans. What are you doing? That's not for you. That grieves me. And if we're open and we're listening, those things can, you know, can direct us the right way. So he says the highway, the place of travel, the place of the path that we're on, the place that we are, should be on related to getting where we're supposed to be going of the upright is to depart from evil. That's what the road is. If we want the road to holiness and to on our way to heaven in a way where we're growing and growing spiritually, that what that's going to look like, that's going to look like increasing holiness in our lives. And we don't get to define how holy we're going to be. That's up to God to define as he speaks to us, as we submit our lives to his word and all those things. And in doing so, we will preserve our soul. That's what God wants for us. Now notice in verse 18, he warns of the danger of pride, which none of us can relate to, so we'll just go over it real quick here. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You know, you know we like to quote this scripture related to other people, don't we? We're pretty good at it. Pride comes before destruction, haughty spirit before a fall. We almost like, it's almost like one syllable that comes out of our mouths. You know, blah, 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 blah. Pride, before, you know, pride goes before destruction. Blah, 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 blah. And we just say it real quick. But it's true for our own lives. That's the application. I mean, we have to always look at God's word as how does it apply to us first. And one of the things that pride does is it incapacitates us in many ways to see it in ourselves. And we're all, we're all suspect to this. We're all prone to this. It's, it's in our hearts. Pride is to see myself above. Now, haughty is not that common of a word. We don't really use that as much. It means to be arrogant or snobby. And so it's really similar to pride in that way. But, but it, it does come before destruction. And God tries to warn us by his Holy Spirit and through other believers saying, hey, look, this is, I'm, this is, 
you know, uh, you're, I'm, I, I have questions, you know, and these kinds of things. And we have to take those things before the Lord and say, Lord, do I have pride in this area? Do I see myself above other people? Do I think that I'm better than people? Do I think that I'm um, superior to them? We have to be very careful about that. We're not supposed to compare ourselves among ourselves. Paul said, I don't even judge myself. So for, for us, we have to just say, Lord, I want you to work humility in my life. I, want, I, want, I don't want to have a fall. <laughs> I don't want to go have just my life be um, just, you know, destroyed in the sense of just a wasted life because I'm not surrendered to you. God wants to save people from destruction. That's why we preach the gospel. Because there's a way that they're going that's leading to eternal separation from God. And God doesn't want that at all. Now look at verse 19. He says, better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. So he just got done speaking about pride and all of that. And now he says, better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly. So if you have to... You have to associate with people that are lowly to help yourself be humble then do that associate with with people and that's what jesus did he associated with the humble he was humble in spirit and 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 so he says it's better to be humble with spirit and be with the, the lowly than to divide the spoil and be wealthy so there's opportunities to gain material wealth but we're have to be with the prideful and those type of people and he says no don't don't fall for that associate with the humble because it'll, it'll affect you. It'll affect us in every way for us to be humble and be with those that are humble. You know, it's been said that the humble don't talk bad about themselves. They just don't talk about themselves. I think there's, there's a good point to that. You know, just to, to not make ourselves even an issue. And, and you know, we all have, can grow in that for sure. But if we don't humble ourselves, then God is forced to humble ourselves, to humble us. And he has many ways to do that. We see evidences of that all through scripture where he has no problem humbling people. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar, that was a pretty big humbling there. He's grazing. And you know when you're grazing? And I don't mean grazing like we graze. Um, I'm talking about real grazing in the field. Um, you, you've been humbled. How do you know when you've been humbled? When you're grazing like an animal. You know, it's, God has really effective ways to be able to bring that humility in our lives. Verse 20. He who heeds the word wisely will find good, and whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. Sometimes we hear people say, well, God isn't concerned about our happiness. He's concerned about our holiness. And I, I believe he's concerned with both. And they're not mutually exclusive. You know, the word blessed means, oh, how happy in Scripture. And so he, he knows that a life that's happy is a life that's full of faith in him, that trusts in him, that honors him, that puts him first in their lives and is, and is willing to receive instruction. Notice the first part of verse 20. He who heeds. It's not just hear, it's heeds. It's hear and accept it. And believe it for themselves and, and have a desire to act on it. That's what he's talking about. He who heeds the word wisely will find good. But whoever trusts and whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. Maybe you're here searching for happiness. And happiness is usually associated with our circumstances. Joy is not. Joy is, is directly linked to our relationship with him, what we have in him. And what we have in him doesn't change. 
That's why we can keep our joy all the time, no matter what's happening in our lives, because our relationship with him is a constant, because he's constant. But happiness ebbs and flows at times based on our circumstances. But the more we trust him, the more we put him first, the more we have our priorities straight in life, the more we will be happy. And that's what he wants for us. And, And holiness will be definitely a part of that because heeding his word will produce a holy life. And he will speak to us and say, this isn't for you. But it's for so-and-so. This, this person can do that, but yeah, this is not for you. That's a Christian liberty that they can do, but not for what I've called you to at this time. And we have to be content with that. Verse 21. The wise in heart is called prudent, and sweetness of the lips increases learning. Now notice he says the wise in heart will be called something. It will be called prudent. People will call you prudent. And and obviously in many ways we're not looking for people to call us good things. But as a result of us doing the right thing, people will call us things that are correct, related to the things that are in Scripture that our lives line up with. And that's okay. We We should be happy about that. But the wise in heart, those that take wisdom and apply them in their lives, they're going to be called prudent. Why would they be called prudent? Because the effects of that will overflow and people will see those things. People will see those decisions, those wise decisions, and they'll notice them. It'll make a difference in their lives and they'll say, that guy's prudent, that girl's prudent. That person is really wise with their decisions. And then he says, and sweetness of the lips increases learning I love this because it's speaking also of how we instruct that we can instruct we can teach we can pass on information we can impart things but how we impart them matters I would say just as much or more than what we're imparting a famous preacher said don't preach down on them but preach under them to build them up and it's not just for preachers it's it's how we instruct anybody. Here it is, Mother's Day, and the most powerful, influential people on this earth are mothers. They have more influence on their children's lives and the lives of others than I believe any other person, type of person in this world. And, and how they instruct, ladies, that your, your moms, your grandmothers, how you instruct is so important. It's not just that you instruct, it's how you do it. Sweetness of the lips increases learning. And it's not just talking someone up and buttering them up and flattering them or any of those things. It's not only telling people the things they want to hear. It's none of those things. It's saying the appropriate, correct things in in this context of learning or imparting something with someone or sharing something with someone in a way that builds them up. And it, it, it... doesn't just happen immediately it's not easy to figure out how to do that right away it takes time to learn how to do that it takes trial and error it takes messing up and failing in that way and after over time though we'll get better and get better and get better and we'll see the capacity of those that God has placed in our lives to impart things they'll be able to have a greater capacity to receive them because of how we're communicating those things to them in a way that's just like the Lord you know you think about Jesus and how he was the friend of sinners we're told in scripture and the common people received him gladly why weren't unbelievers repelled by him 
They're repelled sometimes by us. <laughs> and they don't want to be around believers sometimes. And we say that a lot of that has to do with they're, they're convicted and all that. And that's valid in many, many times. But other times, what they're sensing from us is condemnation. And they're sensing from us disapproval for them in general, not just what their behavior is, but them in general. And we have to be careful. We have to be yielded to the Lord in such a way where Jesus is, is free in us to draw people to himself, where people are attracted to him in us. Ever had that? Where people just, you sense that they, they sense something in you that's different. They don't know what it is, and they're attracted to you, but it's not you, and you know that because you know who you are apart from Christ. But they're just attracted to something, and it's not you, it's him. Because you're yielded over to him. You're surrendered to him, and he's coming through. And they don't know what it is about you, but they know it's different, and they're attracted. That's how we should be. That's how the Holy Spirit wants us to be around unbelievers. Not winking at their sin, but not being the sin police either. And not convicting every tiny little thing that they do, but, but being appropriate towards them. And it takes, it takes time to learn how to do that well. Because we don't want to compromise. We don't want to make them feel like their behavior is okay and we believe it's okay. No, we're, we're not doing that. But we have to be loving towards them. And then when appropriate, speaking the truth, but not in a con- condemning way, in a way that they know that we're saying because we care about them. And a lot of that has to do with earning the right to be heard and building that trust and being an example in their lives if we have the capacity and the sphere of influence with them to be able to show them that we're a different type of person way before we open our mouth. But we have to open our mouth. Sometimes we hear the phrase, you know, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. But scripturally, faith comes by hearing. There has to come a point in time when we open our mouth and preach the gospel to them. Yes, our lives need to look different. They need to look like Jesus. We need to live a different kind of life. We need to be an example. But there comes a time where we need to open our mouth and preach that gospel. And that's getting lost a little bit in our you know, churches and so forth. It's just we have to open our mouth and know how to preach the gospel. One of the reasons why I'm so thankful for programs like Evangelism Explosion. It's beautiful. Verse 22. Understanding is a wellspring of life to him who has it. But the correction of fools is folly. I want to call your attention to the word has there in verse 22. Understanding is a wellspring of life to him who has it. It's something that I possess as a Christian. This understanding. And it comes through God's word. And that's why we have to feed upon his word. And we have to know his word. But not just know it intellectually but live it out and to be obedient to what he's calling us to do. And as we do that, and as we place his word as the priority in our lives, then it will overflow into a wellspring. What's a wellspring? It's a spring of water. That's the picture. That's the imagery here. There's a spring. There's spring there are multiple springs in Israel, and uh, the Jordan River comes from some three different springs I believe and you can go to one of those springs in Israel and you can see that water gushing out and it's living water that's what living water is in scripture it's it's a spring it's not something that's stagnant and he says that's that'll that's what it'll be it'll be life-giving to you for those who have it but the correction of fools is folly in other words when you try to correct a fool we've talked a lot about fools 
in, in, in the book of Proverbs. And a fool is someone that is disobedient to what God has said. It may be very intelligent, may be very bright, all of that, but he's disobedient. And, and so he says, trying to correct a fool, that's just folly. It's not even, you can't do it. It's impossible. It's just a waste of your time, all of that. So he makes that clear. Verse 23, the heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. So wisdom is not just something that I have in my heart, because he does say the word heart there in verse 23. The heart, not the mind, the heart of the wise teaches his mouth. So it's not just related to my heart and my decision making. God's wisdom affects our mouths and what comes out of our mouths. Jesus said out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So our hearts, as he changes our hearts and makes our hearts more and more according to his, and we're using the wisdom of, that he gives in his word, then it'll affect our mouths, what comes out of our mouths. Be very careful. We talk, we're going to be held accountable for every idle word we're told in Scripture. Jesus said that. He's going to take every word that we spoke and we're going to be having a conversation about that. That puts incredible fear of the Lord in my heart. I don't know about you. Every idle word means every unprofitable word we're going to be hold, given account for. And not a matter of heaven and hell and all that. We're talking about just stewardship. What we said with our mouths, how we said things, all of those things, what we impart into others. And, and he says, and adds learning to his own lips. All of these things have to do with influence, influencing others, teaching others, being a blessing to others. Again, the focus is on other people related to our lives. That's what he wants. But it starts with the heart being wise and then that overflowing to our mouths, being very careful to be quick to listen, slow to speak. And, and if, if any man speaks, let him speak like the oracles of God or as the oracles of God, the words of God. Not saying anything, any corrupt communication proceeding out of our mouths, but only that which is edifying or that builds up the, the, the hearers. That's what God's called us to. He's always working to have us grow in that. That's what he wants. And then he talks more about words in verse 24. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb. Sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. You know, I can't help but think about all those honeycomb commercials growing up. You know, I liked cereal. You know, I did. I wasn't allowed to have any sweet cereal at all. My mom had shredded wheat. And it wasn't the kind that had the frost on it. It was just the bricks. The bricks, man. The bricks of wheat. Just gross. Just how can you choke one of those down? She'd have them cut bananas in them. Like, Mom, that's gross. Here is Mother's Day. I'm talking bad about my mom with that. But, uh, you know, I, it was, I could not relate to it. So when I got my, I got my paper out, man, first check or money that I got, I bought Captain Crunch, Honeycomb. I bought every horrible cereal you can have and just ate and ate and ate and ate and just ugh, got sick. And I never thought I'd bring that up in a, you know, this. But, but, I mean, honeycomb cereal is good. Let's just be honest. If you've had it, it's good. But it's not, any, it's not better than a real honeycomb. And real honey, obviously. And that's sweet. And he likens that to pleasant words. Pleasant words. And it's sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. You know, he, increasingly... 
over the last few years, he has really, really, to my own heart, challenged me to be able to be sensitive to what I say to people and making sure that that is imparting something that's a blessing to them. And I have failed miserably, trust me, in that. But it's, he's wanting us to grow in that. And we can make such a difference with our words. And it, we do this goofy thing in our mind where we don't realize or we don't believe that our words make that big of a difference in people's lives. But we know that it makes a big difference in our lives when, they, when people say things. But we, somehow we think it's different from when we say things. But it isn't. Take the time to say pleasant things, nice things, edifying things, things that build up, encouraging things. Instead of Happy Mother's Day, say, you're a great mother. You know, you're an amazing mom. You know, just little comments here and there go so far, far than we we can even imagine. Verse 25, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Now, this is the second time we've seen this exact verse. We saw it back in chapter 14. So anytime God says something once, it's important. When he says something more than once, it's very important. And so he says, there is a way that seems right. And that's the challenge of not knowing this book. Is because even after coming to know the Lord, and we're in the process of having our minds renewed, we still can lean on our own understanding and we can think that we are right on the money until we compare it to scripture until we seek wise counsel there's wisdom in the multitude of counselors we've seen that verse until we pray until we fast until we seek him and there's a way that seems right and and so we look at unbelievers today and we see that they're so confident in the way that they're living their lives and they can be so hypercritical of us thinking that we're narrow-minded and we don't have any fun in life and we're, you know, archaic in our thinking and all these things. There's a way that seems right to them, but its end is the way of death. Notice the word end there. That's what they don't tell you. That's what the sitcoms and the movies and all those people that, that make all these lifestyle and all these sins so look so great and so worth it to live a life that's contrary to God's word. What they don't talk about is the end. And that's the one thing that God tells us the truth about. He tells us the truth that the end is the way of death. God's honest with us. He tells us where it all leads. Isn't that gracious of him and loving of him to do that? And and so he, he wants us to tell people the truth. Look, I know this seems right to you, but look what God's word says. Look what God has revealed in his word, where all this leads. This lifestyle or this sin that you're engaged in and this life separated from God that he doesn't want for you. This is where it leads. This is where the end end is. And, And God will use that. The Holy Spirit will take that and he will amplify that in their heart and show them that they are going the wrong direction. I mean, they have to be open and receptive to some level. Obviously, he's not going to override their will, but he will communicate the message they can reject it but he will communicate that message very important verse 26 the person who labors labors for himself for his hungry mouth drives him on and obviously this is a general explanation of why we work you know because we work because we want to eat you know paul said if a man will not work he won't eat 
He doesn't say if a man can't work, he won't eat. He says if he won't work, he's able-bodied and he won't work, he won't eat. So we obviously labor. We labor for the things that we need and all of that. That's fine. But we, it also what the, this verse can do in us and show us and instruct us about is to have compassion on people that are hungry. And, and no one excuses anything that is against the law or any of those things, but we have to recognize that maybe we haven't ever been in that position before. We've never, we've never, maybe we've never been that hungry to be tempted to break the law. And, and it, we have to have compassion for people, and we have to care about them. They are trying to just survive. They, are, they care for their kids. Their kids are hungry. I mean, look all over the world, the hunger and the corrupt governments that take money that's been given to the country for food and they take it to themselves and letting thousands and thousands and thousands of children die, and star, die by starvation. What's happening right now in Somaliland, above Somalia? I mean, it's a catastrophic famine that's happening right now. And millions of people are at risk of dying. We need to pray for them. And we have many brothers and sisters around the world that are hungry and, that, and they are desperate. And we need to be open to what the Lord wants us to do related to trying to help and related to prayer and even finances, uh, potentially. Now, he's going to talk about three men here coming up in the verses. He's going to talk about the ungodly man, the perverse man, and the violent man. Look at verse 27. An ungodly man digs up evil, and it is on his lips like a burning fire. So the ungodly, we can't be surprised by ungodly people going to great lengths. That's what, you know, digging up <laughs> describes. Is that they're going to great lengths to, to, to come up with evil and all of that. And they speaking evil things is just as pervasive as a fire out of control. And, and so that's, he clearly states that. Then he says, not just an ungodly man, but now a perverse man. Verse 28, a perverse man sows strife. And a whisper separates the best of friends. Wow. What is strife? Strife is where people are not getting along. And the perverse man sows those things. He says certain things. It could be a woman too. It's not just, it's just a person here. Sows strife, says certain things that he knows or she knows that will cause problems and trying to cause a wedge the media is very good at trying to cause a wedge in between people of their own group media is very good at trying to get uh, daylight in between people that are supposed to be like this and the enemy is trying to draw a wedge between us and our spouses and our relationships that we have he's always trying to bring division and notice he uses the word so this is the planting type you know farming illustration here they would all be familiar with this and, and sowing strife doesn't always have an immediate harvest, just like regular farming doesn't. It takes time. Those things take time to, to be cultivated and all of that, and then, then there's a crop of destruction. So we have to be on guard against that. And he even describes how it's done at the last part of verse 28. A whisperer, you know, it's not talking about a horse whisperer here. I don't even know what a horse whisperer is. I think it's a horse trainer, but I could be wrong. Uh, but this is just someone that whispers things and is trying to cause division. And even the best of friends, notice this at the end of verse 28, the best of friends. There are people that used to be close friends of mine. I never dreamed in a million years wouldn't be my friend anymore. But because of this kind of thing, 
this is what's happened, and it hurts. But we just have to focus on doing the right thing ourselves. We can't control what other people do, but we have to do what's right and keep our noses clean, so to speak, and do the right thing. Verse 29. A violent man entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that, that, that's, that is not good. So we're not supposed to sow strife. We're not supposed to whisper in a way that causes division between even friends. But we're also not supposed to entice people, our neighbor or anybody else, related to evil. And, you know, we would never probably purposely do that, uh, most of us. You know, maybe some of us would. I don't know. I mean, no sin is above any of us. We could, we're all capable of any sin given the right circumstances. But sometimes we entice people not knowing it because we're not sensitive to what their weaknesses are. We have to be careful about that. We should know our neighbors, not just our physical neighbors, but our people that we know in our relationships. We should have relationships with them in a way where we know what their weaknesses are and we're sensitive to those weaknesses and that we don't do things to where we accidentally can entice them you know, I know it's not speaking of accidentally here. It's talking about purposeful, but we can still do that inadvertently, and we need to be careful. Verse 30, he winks his eye to devise perverse things. He purses his lips and brings about evil. So I don't know if it's like the little wink, wink, you know, you are planning something with someone and you're doing a little wink like, yeah, we know what we're about. We, we know what, the, what, what our evil plan is and all that. Or if it's something different or, you know, you purse your lips and in the sense of keeping things under your breath so pe- other people don't hear, but you're doing the secret planning. Whatever it is, um, obviously those things are, are wicked and we should stay clear of those things. Now the verse I've been waiting for, verse 31. The silver-haired head is a crown of glory. If it is found, if, notice the word if, if it is found in the way of righteousness. You know, I dye my hair gray just so people will respect me. You know, you don't buy that? I guess you don't buy that. But, uh, man, you know, it's, it's a crown. Look at what it says there. It's a crown of glory. If, though, there's a condition. If it is found in the way of righteousness. And he's been talking about the way man plans his way, but the Lord directs his step. You know, all those things about being surrendered to him and wanting his plan for our lives and wanting what he wants for our lives, all those things, and we're walking in godliness and holiness and all the things he's been talking about, then our gray hair or our age, you guys, you know, we don't, rec- we don't re- respect elderly in our culture, especially like it is in other cultures. We need to respect older people. They're, they're just, talk about wisdom, they're a repository. I mean, uh, they're, they're, they're a perfect container of wisdom. They've lived all these years. We need to take advantage of those relationships in a good way and, and be able to be receptive what they have to say, related to righteousness especially, because that's the connection here. How do I live a godly life? Ask someone that's older, that has older kids, have already left the house. How do I deal with the situation with my kids in a godly way? Look for the people with gray hair or look for the people that you know have gray hair, but they dye it. They still qualify. They're just covering it up. Maybe they don't want credit for being this type of, you know, wise, righteous person, you know, and they're just being humble, so they die. I don't know. What the, you know, I'm just kidding. I'd dye my hair if I get away with it. I did it once, and it was a disaster, but uh, keep me from doing that ever again. Uh, but we have to go to those people and, and recognize their value. And if you're in that category, 
And you could be gray when you're 24. So you can have a lot of wisdom, I guess, when you're 24. I didn't, but there's probably other people that, that did. But you could have an incredible influence. And if, if people are recognizing that you're a wise person to go to and a, and a good resource, see that as a great opportunity for good in their lives and a great opportunity for ministry to be able to impart to them wisdom having to do with righteousness and the things of the Lord. It's a huge, I think grandparents underestimate their place and their influence in many ways. They, I mean, I wish I had godly grandparents back when I had grandparents. I mean, just the, the blessing of that. I mean, pour into those grandkids. I mean, every opportunity that you can. And I know that no one has to really tell you to do that because of that love that you have. But just, you know, the encouragement. And I hope that if I get to have grandkids someday, that I would be led by the Lord related to having that relationship and knowing what to impart, when to impart, when to not, when to not say. That's what I need to help with is when not to say something that seems to be my area of weakness Um, all those things it's a beautiful ministry verse 32 another one we can't relate to he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city and we don't deal with anger so we can just go on to verse 33 no i'm kidding but you know yes obviously with anger slow to anger is better than the mighty And he who rules his spirit, that's really the key. Doesn't it give us insight into our anger? It's about ruling your spirit. It's about ruling what's inside by the Holy Spirit and letting him take control. When you're sensing that you're losing control, get out of the situation and pray. Or pray, and if you need to get out of the situation in addition to praying, then do that. Don't let it go down that road. Recognize, God will show you. He always gives us a way of escape. But it's more powerful that to do that than he who rules, who takes a city and conquers a city. That's pretty amazing. That's how much God values us being slow to wrath. Verse 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Again, God emphasizes sovereignty. That's what we've been seeing this whole chapter, right? So we can cast lots for things. All through the Old Testament, you see them cast lots. And, and they believe that God guided their ca- of casting lot. Now, this isn't like, oh, God's blessing gambling here. You know, awesome, I'm going to Vegas, you know. No, that's not what he's talking about. Ba- back when this was a regular thing, they believed that decision came from the Lord. Yes, you are casting the lot. You know, we would call it drawing straws or whatever. There, they, there had many different forms of, of lots back then. But they would believe the ultimate choice came by the Lord. And we'd see it over and over in Scripture. Even in Acts chapter 1, they do that. This is before they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. After that, you don't see them do that. They don't see them cast lots and all of those things. But the whole point of it is, is that whatever we have is our situation, and if we surrender to the Lord and all those things, He works all these things together for good. Whatever, whatever thing happens to us that are apart from, that's apart from our decision-making, Whatever falls our way or whatever situation, because we're, we're believers and he works all things together for good, we could be confident that he's going to be sovereign and the decisions that he makes as a result of those things that happen in our lives and how he uses them is up to him and he's sovereign over all of that. You know, what's interesting is that when Jacob, and Jacob, before he died, his sons were gathered around him and he sat up 
and he prophesied over all of them. And it gave very specific things related to a lot of specifics of where, what they would do and how they would influence and all that. It's a beautiful prophecy to read. Later on when they came into the land in the book of Joshua, they cast lots related to a, a, you know, apportioning the land to different tribes. And it all, all those things ended up being exactly in line with Jacob's prophecies. And so God is sovereign. He oversees all those things. And we can trust him and, and know that he's overseeing our lives in a way that how he wants as we continuously and increasingly yield to him. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Proverbs 16. We're looking forward to chapter 17, God, and we just thank you for how sovereign you are and all the lessons that we've seen related to that. Help us increasingly trust you with our lives and our decision-making. We pray that we would be very careful. Help us, Lord, to be very careful with the decisions that we make and the things that we decide to do. Lord, we pray, Father, that every one of us, individually and us as a family, as a church, would be directed by you. And we would trust you that you're sovereign and we would trust you that you're involved in every part of our lives. We thank you that you're so good and you thought of everything. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.